last week, somebody um, came up and asked me this question. He said, do you not like preaching about money and stewardship? And I said, no, I love preaching on money and stewardship. And they said, you don't feel comfortable? I said, no, not at all. And uh, I told them, I said, as an Asian, I feel uncomfortable talking about money. Asians don't talk about money a lot, which is a problem, actually. We're taught by our parents to just not talk about it, and that's the reason why there's so much dysfunction around it. But I love preaching on it because I'm one of those people, if I sit down with you within two minutes, I want to get to know the bottom of your heart. I don't want to talk surface-level conversation. I don't want to know the bottom of your heart. And there are very few things that's as intimately tied to where your heart is than what we do with money. There are very few things, as we saw last week, that are as intimately tied to how we talk about money, how we use money, how we think about money. Another way I guess to say it is this way. When I go to my doctor, I have a great doctor, Dr. Robert Golden. I've been going to him for 12, 13 years. When we sit down, first question he asks me is, so how are you doing? Okay. How's ministry? <laughs> Ministry's going okay. How are your children? My children are okay. And we'll spend 10 minutes talking about my life. Here's the reason why he does that. He's a great doctor. Because he knows that how I am doing physically is intimately tied to all these other facets and areas of my life. He doesn't just go, so are you eating well? Are you exercising well? So on and so forth. Yeah, he'll ask me about my sex life. (laughs) He'll ask me about my ministry. He'll ask me about all of these areas because as a good doctor, he knows that despite what we think, every facet of our area of our lives, it's intimately tied to ultimately how we are physically. You know this. I know this. This is common sense. Isn't our issues in our marriage, careers, complexities of life, difficulties and challenges, aren't so much of it tied to security, tied to our attitude about money, how we think about money? That's the reason why Jesus talked about it so much. We began our journey last week. We began our journey last week, and I'm just going to recap like in 30 seconds, covering this massive, massive, massive word called stewardship. We talked about how everything comes from God and everything belongs to God. And what we have been given, entrusted with, the question we ask is, this doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you. How do you want me to utilize these resources that you entrusted to me for your kingdom purposes? A steward, once we get this biblical perspective, which is so difficult, a steward begins to think of their money this way. They don't go, how much money can I keep? And use as I want. But they begin to ask, how much of God's money that he's entrusted to me can I use for his kingdom purposes? Another way that we don't go, well, how much can I give to God and sort of get away with it so he doesn't punish me? But we, maybe our perspective, if we actually believe, if you're a money manager, investor gives you money, and you do great, and your investments grow, and your money, your investor actually comes to you and goes, I tell you what, you're an amazing money manager, Stuart. 
I'll let you keep 90% of what you've made from me. And you give me back 10. How many of us who sit there and go, that's a terrible deal? None of us in our right minds would say that. And yet, this is how far our perspective is biblically from God's perspective. God actually comes to you and says, I've entrusted all of this with you. And you get to keep 90% and give 10% to my causes. And we go, that's a terrible deal. Because fundamentally, we don't go, God, everything belongs to you. Fundamentally, we go, I earned it. I worked for it. It's mine. And see, I can't, I can't talk, preach, convince you of that. It has to be the work of God. Because as my wife reminds me, Peter, do you realize for a non-Christian, giving 10% of your income to God's causes is ridiculous? I said, yeah. So we, we, we are talking about suicide, and, and I, I got to tell you up front, today, today, I'm going to hit some of us particularly hard, and the rest of us will be, you know, sort of uh, left alone until next week. Because <laughs> in a church like ours, where we have everybody all over the spectrum, socioeconomically, if you really wanted me to preach every Sunday to everybody, we would be here for three hours, okay? So I'm just going to hit, amen, Tim says. <laughs> You're the only one that wants to listen to me for three hours. I'm just going to hit a segment of us today particularly hard. So if you're sitting here going, it really apply to me, which actually it does. But if you don't think so, don't worry, I'll get you next three weeks. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. The title of this morning's sermon is Visually Impaired. Visually Impaired. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. When a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first. Everybody say first. First to his disciples saying, the setting is important. There are thousands of people around and their disciples, those who believe, are, are, are centered around Jesus. And every time Jesus preached on money, he did this. He would speak to his disciples, those who already believe, but he preached in a way that the larger crowd, who are still kind of interested, kind of looking into Christianity, that they would hear. Every time Jesus preaches money, he wants both those who understand and get it, as well as those who don't, to hear his topic talk about money. Why? We talked about this last week briefly. Because central to understanding Jesus, if you're not a Christian on a journey, is you have to hear what he says about money. Not because he's asking for your money. We saw this last week. He doesn't ask people for money. He wants something for you. He doesn't want something from you. He's going to ask you for something, but it's not your money. See, the thing about the New Testament, not just Jesus, is that it continually says money is not just a side thing, side duty of a Christian, like, you know, prayer and, 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 and compassion ministries and evangelism. The, the Bible actually is asking you to say, no, 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 your life of generosity, what you do with money, lies at the heart of everything that a Christian is and everything a Christian does. Let me show you. Let me show you how central this is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 
verse you might be familiar with. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. These are what we call cardinal virtues of Christianity. This, this lies at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Let me show you just bluntly how these three things are intimately tied to money. Number one, faith. Isn't so much of our issues with money about trust? Isn't so much, I said this last week, and these are conversations I have with real people in, I was going to say real coffee shops, like they're fake coffee shops. These are real people in coffee shops. People actually honestly say, here's why I don't give generously to God's causes. Because I'm afraid that God can't or won't take care of me if I gave. And so here's what happens if you go, I don't think God can and will take care of me. There's a gap between what you think God can and should do and what you think you need. And guess who has to fill that gap if you don't trust God? You or me. So we shoulder the burden of saying, I need to maintain, to, to, to earn, to keep as much as possible because I don't. See, that's not just a lack of generosity. That's lack of what? Say it with me. Faith. Hope. How is money tied to hope? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Do you really think, do you really, really think that money has nothing to do with what our heart's deepest desires are? Come on. Where we most easily, effortlessly, as talked about last week, spend money. At the bottom of it is our heart's deepest desires, significance, hope, identity. Third, love. That is just common sense. Love. The reason why many of us are not radically generous is because we are either insensitive to or don't care about the tremendous needs out there. We don't even want to know. We just didn't want to know. And the thing about what Scripture says, let me show you a verse in James that's completely convicting to me. James 2.16. And you say, this is the context of the poor, the needy. Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? And the Bible says over and over again, particularly in the book of James, your giving to meet their needs is a tangible expression of your love for them. Anybody in here could sit and say, I love you. How do you make it tangible, though? See, what we see in the book of Acts, especially chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, is it's because the early church was radically generous the unbelieving world came to see the genuineness of their faith. Because they gave away their money and wealth in radical proportions, it made God's generosity towards us tangible. Faith, hope, and love. Giving generosity is a reality check. It's quantifiable. That's why Jesus talks about it so much. That's why Bible says if you want to understand Jesus and what it means to be rightly related to him, you've got to talk about it. By the way, can I just say this? I'm just going to move on. There's something inconsistent about a group of people who say, I care about injustice, the poor, but you're accumulating commercial debt through careless spending. 
Okay, I'm going to move on. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. According to the cultural customs, and you know this, the older son got the lion's share of the inheritance. And so this is a younger bro that got shafted. And he's saying, Jesus, be our mediator. Listen to what Jesus says. Oh, by the way, by the way, can I just say this? This is a family that's being torn apart by money. Can anybody relate to that? I come from a family. My grandmother on my mom's side. Wealthy, wealthy woman who, right after the Korean War, unprecedented, as a woman in that culture society, began her own business. Then began to purchase buildings, so on and so forth. Incredibly wealthy had seven children. She passed away four years ago and it ripped that entire family apart because every single one of the siblings fought for the inheritance. This is a living, real thing for me to see my mom's side of the family being torn apart by money. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Verse 15 or 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? In other words, Jesus said, that's, my, that's not my mission. That's not what I came to do. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Here we go. You ready? You're not going to like what Jesus has to say to New Community Covenant Church today. Jesus says, You're greedy. And here's how you know you're greedy. If I just said you're greedy and you sat there and you went, I'm offended. Telltale sign, you're greedy. If you sit there and go, wow, and you get defensive, you're greedy. And the worst telltale sign of them all is if you sit there and you go, I know someone who's greedy. (laughs) You, say it with me, are what? Greedy. There's like two people in here who are not greedy. Okay, let's do an exercise. Let's do an exercise. Let's do an exercise. How many of us think we're greedy? Raise your hands. <laughs> Come on. After I said all that, of course you're going to raise your hands. <laughs> you guys are so funny. Here's another passage in the Gospels where Jesus talked about greed and money. Okay? Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. 
Verse 23, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Again, like in Luke 12, the context is about money. He's not talking about some spirit. He's talking about money. And he's saying this. There's light in this room. Not a lot, but there's no light in this room. He says, if by this light you're able to see, then in some ways your whole body, life, can see. But even though there's light in here, if your vision is bad, your eyesight is bad, then in a sense, your whole body is in darkness. You're bumping into people, tripping over pews, so on and so forth. What's Jesus' point? Here's his point. Greed, and here's how I define greed. Next slide, please. Greed. Excessive concern for, worry about, love of, and need for money and material possessions. Greed. And materialism, which is? An inordinate desire for and dependence on money and material possessions. Jesus' entire point, and why we're doing this exercise this morning is this. Greed and materialism has this innate, unique ability to distort your vision or to blind you spiritually. Greed and materialism distorts the way you view reality and it blinds you spiritually. How does it blind us spiritually? And if you've been around New Communion for a few years, you've heard this illustration before. Why does Jesus never say in any of the Gospels, watch out for adultery? Because adultery isn't bad. Adultery is terrible. It ruins and devastates families and people. But why doesn't Jesus say, watch out for adultery? I'll tell you why. Because I have yet to hear someone who committed adultery use this excuse. I didn't know she was my wife. I didn't know I was my husband. Nobody uses the excuse, I, because you know that's not your wife. You know that's not your husband. What's Jesus' point when he says, watch out for greed? Unlike the sin of adultery, when it comes to sin of greed and materialism, you almost never know you're doing it. That's why... When we talk about this, large segments of our church family will go, I'm not greedy, I'm not materialistic. The sin of greed is powerful because you and I just don't think it's us. The sign that this is an issue for you is that you don't think it's an issue for you. I spent a lot of time on this. Two minutes. Here's why we struggle with this. One, we live in a culture that's obsessed with wealth and materialism. Would you agree? We are daily reminded by lives of the people who live way beyond us. And we either go, man, I wish I lived like that. Be honest. Or we go, I'm not like that. And then there's us more regionally. Here's the thing about living in the city of Chicago. Is it on the same block? You have people that make 10 times more money than you and 10 times less money than you. On the same block. 
walk into a coffee shop, you're surrounded by people all over the spectrum, socioeconomically. And here's what we never do. We never look at people who live way simply, are radically generous, and we go, I wish I was more like them. No, we compare ourselves to who? Be honest. We compare ourselves to people who are way more luxurious and extravagant than we do, and we go, I'm not like that. Or sometimes, I wish I was like that, but I'm not like that. And we go, this is not an issue for See, it's like alcoholism. Part of the disease of alcoholism is your unwillingness to admit that you're an alcoholic. You don't, okay, okay. Still not convinced to go, it's not true of me. Okay, let me just ask you something. When is the last time you, by yourself, sat there and thought, you know what? I could be living way more simply. When's the last time you did that just on your own? When's the last time you said, do I need all this stuff? What, why do I have? When's the last time, by yourself, you just went there? See how hard this is? We just sit there and go, and not a two, and not my problem. I love it. You guys, the rest of the world knows better. Good Lord, our perspective is so skewed. Are there some genuinely poor people in our church? Absolutely. Are there some genuinely poor people in this community? Absolutely. Are there some genuinely poor people in our city? Absolutely. But many of us, our perspective is skewed. Our perspective is distorted. Now, let me just, how does materialism and greed blind us? Two ways, two ways, and then we're done. One, materialism and greed keeps you from asking hard questions. Materialism and greed keeps you from asking hard questions. What does it mean to ask questions? It's to be suspicious. It's to be on guard. If you don't ask this question ever, you're voluntarily being blind. Two questions. Two questions. Real quickly. Question number one. Why are you working that job? Why are you working that job? Because here's what materialism and greed causes us to do. Materialism and greed causes us not to get jobs because it helps people, not to get jobs because it's personally fulfilling, not to get jobs for any of those reasons, but purely because it makes money and it gets us a certain status in life. And if you, by the way, are in your 20s, 30s, and this is why you have that job, you pursue that job, the adrenaline will get you going for a few years. But man, when the crash comes, whoo. You see why it's not just money? You see how the status idol, the God of status, is intimately tied to money and how it causes us to pursue jobs even though it's unfulfilling, pursue jobs even though it doesn't help anybody, to pursue jobs just so that we can have a certain lifestyle. I got to ask you, why are you working that job? Why do you have that job? Why do you want to go to grad school? Why that particular grad school? Why do you have that job? One of the most refreshing conversations I've ever had was with a young dude in his 20s who was an investment banker in our church. 
You know what he said to me? He goes, Pastor Peter, I don't know how I feel about the fact that what I do for a living just helps rich people make more money. That's the point. Now, everybody say, however. Come on, say however, because I can't leave you with this. Because some people are going to go, that's it. That's my call. I knew God was going to speak. I'm going to stop being a banker and go teach English in Guatemala. No, don't do that. Here's the reason why. Hold that tension, because i got to ask you about this. There are some of you that are gifted to make money. You need to make as much money as you possibly can and then give away that money as much as you possibly can. It is unbiblical and foolish to go, there is evil and sin in making a lot of money. That is utterly ridiculous. Read your Bibles. God has gifted some of you here at New Community, and there are large numbers of people. He has gifted you to make a lot of money. Why? So that he could entrust you to utilize that for his causes out in the world. Can I get an amen? So don't you ever walk away from new community going, well, I need to stop making a lot of money and do this. If God calls you, define. But your job, your kingdom mission for some of you is to make a ton of money and give a ton of money away. Can I get an amen? The question is, why do you want to make that money? For who? For what? And are you even asking that question? If you've never asked that question, why do I work this? Why do I need this money? You're blind. Second, question. Why do I want this lifestyle? Oh, man, this is so uncomfortable. Materialism keeps you from asking hard questions about your lifestyle. Again, one of the problems of being a young professional here in the city of Chicago is that you're constantly running in circles where people are making 10 times more money than you, driving fancier cars than you, living in nicer houses than you, eating out at more expensive restaurants than you. And by the way, that person that you think is rich, they're also around other people who make 10 times more money. So nobody feels rich. Nobody feels rich. Maybe Bill Gates feels rich. I hope he feels rich. Nobody else feels rich. So what do we do? We constantly, constantly, constantly are bombarded, and we have this skewed, distorted perspective about our lifestyle. Result is that you never ask these questions. Did you ever, do you ever, sometimes do you ever like go to a restaurant and go, should I be spending all this money on food? Do you, ever, do you ever just ask, should I be spending all this money on an apartment that I live in, the car that I drive, clothes that I wear? Do you ever just sit there and ask those questions about your lifestyle? Is there a way that I could live more simply? Is there a way that I could be more generous to God's causes? Is there a way? The problem is we just don't want to go there. We just don't even want to ask. So can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Who are you accountable to? Who are you accountable to? Who do you have in your life that you are having hard conversations with? And if you sit there as a Christian and go, then none of their business. Excuse me. It is our business. Because we are, last time I checked, the body of Christ. Who? 
Who knows how much you give to God's causes? Who knows? Who do you talk to before you make major purchases? Who knows? Does anybody know? Does anybody know how, where, how much you spend? Does anybody in this church family know? Dude, you're going, oh, nobody needs to know. I trust myself. You're blind. That's the whole point about greed, guys. Money has the power to stop us from asking hard questions, how we make it. How we... Let me give you the example of where our church is. So we have one small group in our church where people in this small group show up with their credit card statements every week and go, here's where I've spent my money. And then we have other groups in our church small groups <laughs> that go, none of your business. None of your business. Oh, we can talk about my sex life. Money? None of your business. What is wrong with that picture? You guys. The power of greed says, it's not true of me. We live in the We live 70%, 70% of the world's wealth is in 5% of the world's population. And that world's population lives where? In America. And we really, guys, have the audacity to go, I I can't live more simply. I I couldn't be more generous. Really? 70% of the world's wealth, 5% of the entire, that's this country. You and I don't think we're influenced by this country? Specific questions that I'd love for you to ask to get to, just to get to the starting point. Question number one, do I have resources and use them to maintain and pursue a lifestyle that is at the upper limits of what I can afford? If your lifestyle is constantly chasing your income, if your lifestyle is constantly bumping against your income, you're spiritually blind. Second question. Is fear of losing my lifestyle keep me from being generous? Does fear of losing my lifestyle keep me from being generous? Third question. Do I compare myself primarily with those who have either the same or greater standard of living than me? Fourth question. Do I ever consider how I can simplify my lifestyle to free up resources to invest in the kingdom? Is anybody in this room actually asking any of those questions on a regular basis? What does it mean practically? And I don't like to dispense practical, biblical wisdom, but I need to do here. Because if there's anybody sitting there going, well, then do I have to embrace voluntary poverty? I just got to say one thing. If you actually sit here and go, do I have to embrace voluntary poverty? it might be a sign that you grew up very privileged. What do I mean? Try telling a poor person who grew up nothing to embrace voluntary poverty because that's what God calls them to do. Biblical wisdom is this. 
Listen very carefully, please. Biblical wisdom is that Christians are called, Christians are called to live in neighborhoods, work in places, and be in circles that represent the entire spectrum of society. Did you hear what I just said? We need Christians in every sphere of our city, every sphere of our community. We need Christians to influence those areas. And yes, I know exactly who I'm talking to in our church. We need some of you to work, to live in places where you interact with certain people that are in those spheres. Having said that, here's what it means to live biblically. Here's what it means to live simply. It means that instead of living at the upper limits of what you could afford. Living biblically means that in those spheres you live, you live at the bottom end of your income bracket. That means that instead of saying, I'm going to live like the rest of them and live to the tilt, you say to yourself, the more money I make, the more difference there will be between what I could be living and how I actually do live. Did you hear what I just said? Here's what it means to live biblically, faithfully. It means that as you make more money, even though you look at your peers and you go, I could live like that. You say, I choose to live at the bottom end of this income bracket in such a way that the difference between how I could live and how I actually do live gets wider and wider and wider. That's what it means to live biblically. A man who did this, a guy named John Wesley, Founder and father of the Methodist church, he began to limit his expenses so that he'd have more money to give to God's causes. First year, his income was 30 pounds, and he found that he could live on, on 28 pounds, so he gave away two. Second year, his income doubled, but he held his expenses down even, so he then gave away 32 pounds. Third year, his income reportedly tripled to 90 pounds, and he gave away 62 pounds. In his lifetime at the height, this guy was making 1,400 pounds a year. 1,400 from 30. But he never exceeded his expenses to go above 30 pounds. Historians tell us that he seldom had more than 100 pounds in his possession at a time. And when he died at the age of 87... He had given away, listen to this, 30,000 pounds of his entire income and chose to live right around 30. Here was this quote by one of his biographers. If I leave behind me 10 pounds, you and all mankind bear witness against me that I died a thief and a robber. And if you go, that's extreme, that's because you think of yourself as an owner and not a steward. It's not yours. Can I say one other thing before I move on? Please don't buy into the nonsensical notion. Oh, Pastor Peter, well, if I just make more money, I'll give more money away. No, you won't. No, you won't. Do you know why? There is an infallible human rule. That is, spending always expands to fill income. Spending begets spending. You will spend what you make unless and until you intentionally put in elements that will curb it. Just one small advice. 
One small advice. And Jenny and I tried to live this. When we were first married, I was making $400 a month as a youth pastor. Don't worry, that was a long time ago. This was, this was like years ago. And Jenny was a resident, which means she was getting paid like $5 an hour residence, you guys, maybe less than that. When we got married, we said, Jenny, no matter what, in the next 20, 30 years, we're going to continue to tithe faithfully. So every year, as our income increased, we didn't even think about it. What's 10% of this? Boom, set aside. 10% of it, boom, set aside. And I shared with some of you guys that were here last week, we're prayerfully aiming that we would give away 20% of our entire income to God's causes. Are you willing to do that? Those of you that are on trajectory to make, because here's what's going to happen. It's easy to write a check for $10 if you make 100 right? $10. And then, of course, 100 100 100 Okay, okay, okay. It's easy when it was 10 But if you simply go, it's not mine. It's his. And we're committed to. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? Verse 15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is literally saying, you don't find meaning in life by consuming and purchasing and making money. To which all God's people said, really? (laughs) I thought about this. Imagine if an alien came to earth and he went back. I think this is what he would say. People would go, what are they like? An alien would go, Here's what they're, it's so weird. They just make money and spend it, make money and spend it, make money. It's like, it's like they think they'll die if they don't make money and spend it. Really? Yeah. Like they, for example, they do this thing called shopping. Shopping, why? They need stuff? No, it makes them feel better. What? Yeah, and they go out to these places called restaurants because they're hungry. No, it makes them feel kind of special, like significant. They buy all this stuff called houses and cars. Why? So they can get around and have shelter? No. It makes them feel like they've arrived. Our life doesn't consist in possessions. 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. You know what This guy's saying, I have too much stuff. Boo-hoo. Can you put up the slide, please? Do you know what one of the most profitable industry in this country is? I asked you a question. This wasn't rhetorical. Do you know what one of the most profitable? It's what? Self-storage. See, I read that verse. You're like, what an idiot. Who would do that? Next slide, please. We have more storage units in this country than McDonald's and Starbucks combined. The third slide, please. 
total space is 2.63 billion. If, if you go, how big is that? Because I didn't know how big that was. You know, I need a visual, right? So here's a visual for you. Imagine every single man, woman, and child in America standing in a storage unit that's seven square feet. That would be how much square feet we have of storage space in this country to house every single man, woman, and child. Next slide, please. Percent of households in the U.S. that has... See, I was going to ask, how many of y'all have self-storage before I did this? <laughs> but there would be shaming people, and we don't do that in our church You guys, you guys. I'm not going to say any more about that. that. Those statistics are my point. We're moving on. Verse 19. Then he said, I'll say one other thing. I have to. I have to. Historically, in the last 30 years, the size Typical size of a U.S. home apartment has doubled. We're living in bigger houses than we ever have in this country. And yet, and yet, a third of the people, a third of the people self-storage actually admitted to these self-storage owners, this is stuff we don't need or use. A third. Yes, and I would say that's a tiny, tiny percentage. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. Here's the second sign that we are blind spiritually to green materialism, and that is this. We worry and worry Worry and worry. All the verses following this parable is about worry. Jesus says if you're constantly worried about money, you're constantly stressed out about money, you're just as much under the power and influence of money as the overly greedy person. Why? Because money is our security. Money is our security. When do you worry? When you've set your heart on something you don't want to lose. When do you worry? When you set your heart on something, you don't want to lose. And Jesus says, here's how you know you're under the influence of green materialism. You worry and worry and worry and worry. That's why Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed comes in many forms. See, don't think you could easily walk out and go, I'm not like him, I'm not like her. Of course you're not. But here's who you are. You are not generous. Why? Because for you, it's security. Do you excessively worry about money? Does excessive worry about having enough, about keeping enough, keep you from a life of radical generosity? Here's the thing as a pastor, real quick. A lot of people think my self-doubts would go away if I just made more money. Actually, you get more insecure when you make more money. Some of the most insecure people I know are some of the most successful wealthy people I know. Some people go, if I made more money, then my relationships would go better. No, it actually complicates relationships. Some people go, 
I would worry less about money if I had more. No, you actually now have more to worry about. You think worry would actually go away just by getting more? Verse 19, then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, this guy is saying, here's how I'm going to be safe in a dangerous world. Here's how I'm going to maintain control in a world that seems chaotic. I'm going to make sure that no matter what happens out there, I'm going to save for a rainy day. So I just can't afford to give And the whole point of this parable is that it's a lie. It's an illusion to think that you and I could control our circumstances. I know that's hard because we live in a world where technology has fooled us into thinking, I am the master of the universe. Think of someone in an agricultural world. Think of a farmer who says, I don't control anything. I can't control the weather. I can't control locusts, insects. In other words, I can't control my year-end crop and what it looks like. You know what else you can't control? Everybody, look up here. How many years you have on planet Earth? If you ever think, let me show you, Jesus, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, in case you thought you were completely in control, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And the answer is what? Somebody else. Somebody else will get all the stuff that you prepare for yourself. Why? Because you're generous? No, because you're dead. And all of a sudden... For some of us, I pray, the penny drops and we realize what our few years on earth is for. Because listen, Josh, listen, our material possessions are not the only things that's on loan. You know what else is on loan? Our lives. Your life and my life is on loan. Five seconds, it's alone. Our lives are alone. And God is saying, what are you spending your life for? This life that I've loaned to you. What are you spending your life for? What am I spending my life for? This life that's alone from God. What is it for? Careers? Money? Things? Stuff? Really? Stuff that none of us will ever be able to take with us? Because last time I checked, caskets come in the same size. What are we living this life for? What are you living this five second, I'm here now, gone to the life for? Really? Do we live with eternity in mind? Or are we living like this rich fool? I'm going to take care of me. Our lives are on loan here today, gone tomorrow. And one day we're going to have to give an account for everything that we did. Are we living with eternity in mind, church family? Don't look at them out there and go, how pathetic. 
Ask yourself, what are you living for? Verse 21, this then is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Question to you, are you building your life on something that might leave you someday? Are you finding your significance and meaning in something that's going to rust? Do you find your identity and your worth in something that has an expiration date? What's the answer? Matthew 6, 19. I love these verses. It's beautiful verses. I wish you would memorize it. You would, you would chew on it this entire week, you guys. Challenge for you. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And no, this verse doesn't mean if you give a lot to God on earth, you'll get a big mansion in heaven. Whoever said that was so I know some of us believe that. And, and by the way, I don't know if your pastor knows that it's not going to happen. I just, you know. But I grew up, somebody teaching me, you know, if you give to God generously, you'll get a mansion. If you don't, you'll get a little shack. To which I thought, as long as I make it, I'm cool. I don't care if it's a shack or a mansion. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it didn't make the difference. I don't think that's what this verse means. Here's how I know. Because literally, literally, verse 19 says this. I put it up there. Literally, it says, do not treasure earthly treasures, but treasure heavenly treasure. What does it mean? I'm almost done here. What does it mean? That means first and foremost, please, and I'm only going to spend that, that, that Sunday, Sunday, and then I'm, i got to move on to other things. It's not just money. Stop saying it's just money. It's not just money. It's about security and significance. It's not just money. It's about security. That's why we act so irrational. Common sense goes out the window. It's about security. It's about significance. What is your treasure? Another way to ask, what is your significance? What is your security? Be honest. Why did Jesus come and die for us? <laughs> First Peter 2.9. You are God's treasured possession is this good news to anybody come on is this good news to anybody you are god what does that mean that means you and i are his heart's treasure you will do anything for your treasure you will die to purchase your treasure and the bible is audacity to say jesus is the only treasure that dies to purchase you oh man and think about this. Think about this. Jesus had the ultimate treasure. You talk about significance. He's son of God. You talk about status. He is in heaven, ruling and reigning, enjoying the praise of all of heaven. He, however, the Bible says on the cross, was stripped of his clothes. When the Bible says he was stripped of his clothes and his body. That was just an echo of the fact that he was stripped for everything. Why? For who? What kind of a treasure does this? And get this. Please get this. 
<laughs> he doesn't treasure you and me because of you. He treasures you because he's good. Can I get an amen? He doesn't love us. You got to get this. Otherwise, you're going to walk away with kind of half the gospel. He doesn't love us because we're worthy of love. He loves us simply because he loves us. You got to get this. He doesn't treasure us because we're somehow worthy of being treasured. That's our world. I'll treasure you if you're smart. I'll treasure you if you're attractive. I'll treasure you if you're successful. The Bible says... He didn't die for me because I'm worthy. He dies for me and gives me worth that I don't deserve. Is that good news? He dies for me while I'm unattractive to make me attractive. Is that good news? Do you know why that's important? Because that means that you being treasured is unshakable. It's not earned. It's a gift. There's nothing you can do to keep him from treasuring you. Is this good news? You need to get this because that's the only way you and I will have this. When Satan comes to some of us and says, you're unworthy, you know you're unworthy, which we go, what? You know what? You're right. I am unworthy. However, his righteousness is mine. That means by his blood, he has made me worthy. And Satan, there's nothing you, anybody can do, take that away. You need to anchor yourself in this. I got one story and then I'm done. I hesitate on whether I was going to share this story because I don't want to end my sermons on emotional stories because I want you to walk out of here going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not that was a cute story. So can you guys assure me and say, Peter, don't worry about this. Jesus, yes, yes. Otherwise, I'm not going to share the story. (laughs) I don't want you to go, oh, this story was, you know me. I'm not one of those pastors. Will you walk out of here thinking about Jesus and how he treasures you? Yes? Here's the story. This week, some of you saw it in my Facebook post after last Sunday. A woman in our church who is a student. Everybody say student. Everybody say poor. (laughs) Okay. After your sermon on Sunday, I was convicted about sacrificial giving. The Lord brought to mind the $100 I've been keeping to spend in myself in a couple weeks. A friend of mine who is an international student has been having a really difficult financial season and the Lord immediately placed her on my heart and asked me to give her her money, give her the money. I wrestled and wrestled. Pastor Peter, because I wanted to go shopping. I thought, thank you, sister, being so honest. I struggled with letting it go and even contemplated giving her 50 and keeping the other 50 to myself. And immediately the Holy Spirit reminded me about your words when you said that if it doesn't hurt, man, it's not sacrificial. And my heart was seriously convicted. Well, I had to obey. So I sent her the money today in a card. And then she says this, I feel as free as a bird because now I was both obedient and stepped outside my desires and my wants to serve my sister in Christ. Then five minutes later, On my Facebook, I got a message from a man who used to come to our church. And he says, Pastor Peter, tell me, Moshama. I want to give that sister the $100 that she's giving away. Can I drop it off this week? She has no idea that this is coming to her today. 
Those of you sitting around her do, because she's weeping right now. Don't look. Don't look. Everybody look up here. Don't look. Don't look. You see why I didn't want to share this story? Because I didn't want you to, listen, I don't want you to walk out here going, oh, there was, I need you to walk out here understanding the point. And here's the point. The point is Jesus is her treasure. Jesus is her treasure. That's why she can say, I don't care about this hundred dollars. Hundred dollars that for her means everything. And some total stranger that she will never know about because he said, don't tell her. I said, I won't. Drops this off to me yesterday and says, will you thank her? For her, his words, faithfulness. You can't trust God. You can't trust a God who says, I was stripped of everything because you are my treasure. You, you can't trust a God who says, I will be torn to pieces because you are my treasure. You can't trust this God, a God who says, I will pour out my blood to make you worthy. You can't trust this God. It doesn't even make any sense. If you think about it. (sighs) And the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Stripped. Torn to pieces. This is the blood. Blood of the new covenant. Blood that was shed to make the unattractive attractive. To make the unworthy worthy. 